Hello, hello, it is Shara Carruthers here, and you are listening to the Live Like You Love Yourself podcast. You know, I just have to say that one of my favorite things about podcasting is that I have the opportunity to have conversations with some truly wonderful people and to hear their stories. And, you know, it's even more special when I get the chance to chat with someone that I've known for a while, but not long enough to kind of know the deep details of their life and what they care about most and what's motivated them to do what they do in the way that they do it. And so today's conversation is one of those conversations. It's one of those delightful moments where I got to sit down with a friend, somebody I truly admire and dive really deeply into her life and her heart in a way that just doesn't happen in the usual flow of friendship. So today I'm speaking with Julie Smurden. Now, Julie is something of a yoga luminary, and she's one of the few Americans that I know here in Australia. She's a longtime yoga teacher, a trainer, and a mentor who is, she would probably cringe if if she heard me say this, but she's something of a yoga queen in Queensland here where we live. And so we met years ago when I attended a training that she'd organized with Elena Brower at her yoga studio in Brisbane. And following that, we met up again at the Wanderlust Festival. And from there, our friendship just blossomed. And so her studio in Brisbane, Shri Yoga, was one of the most popular studios for years until COVID hit. And she was forced to kind of rethink how to share yoga. And so we talk about that a little bit in our conversation, which I'm sure will be intriguing for some of you out there who maybe have been in the same situation or for anybody out there who does wonder about what happened to yoga studios as a result of COVID. And so one of the best things about this conversation with Julie was really getting a chance to hear the story of how she came to yoga or how yoga came to her. It's one of the most colorful and beautiful stories of how yoga can truly change lives and is full of some harrowing moments and some incredibly deep wisdom. And so I suppose the beauty of it all is that Julie's work really does seem like it's only just beginning, even after so many years of yoga. And I love those stories of people who are embracing the art of reinventing themselves and honoring their own evolution by leaning into the change and where it's taking them. And so I'm sure that I am one among many folks who's excitedly following Julie's graceful and playful path through yoga and through life. You can hear those birds outside my window. And so with that, please enjoy this conversation that I had with Julie Smurden. Today is the day that I'm very, very excited to um, have this opportunity to ask you all the questions that I've been dying hey. to ask you for years, for years. I'm ready. So let's just let's <laughs> just dive on in. I think yeah. I want to start, and I know a little bit, but I'm really interested, and for so many reasons, which we can dive into. But I want to start with better understanding your what I would call like your yoga story. Like, how did you, <laughs> how did you find yoga? How did it find you? How did oh. you end up here? Well. It's a long and convoluted journey, partly Yay, because the best. I've had a, there's a there's a lot of years behind it. But um, I think 
I was drawn to movement first. So it wasn't that I that I just found yoga right away. Mm-hmm. I was diagnosed with an autoimmune disorder, um, ulcerative colitis when I was a young teenager, so 13, mm-hmm. and was kind of was was more well than not, but was a little in and out of hospital more than most teenagers. <laughs> so by the time I I hit my 20s, um, I decided that or I had discovered movement. So first through dance and then through, through other things. But um, when I discovered in the, and you might, you'll remember this, the aerobics, you know, back in the leg warmer days and all the <laughs> G string leotard days, um, <laughs> I fell in love with that. And I mm-hmm. realized, or I didn't realize, but I decided in my own mind that I could use that to kind of gain dominion over my physical body. So I was really involved in that. And, and after university, I, well, I got married quite young and then had kids. And when my kids were little, I could teach, do, I could do that, you know, and it was easy to be at home with my kids as much as I could and still do something I was enjoying. And there was a bit of personal training in there. And somewhere along the line, I, I discovered yoga and it was early, like yoga was still very much you know, on the down low at that time. And Mm -hmm. I, there was a woman I knew who was a teacher and she just happened to have like one class at one of the gyms where I was. And so I just started, I went to her class mostly for cross training. You know, I was, I'm pretty naturally flexible. So I just found it enjoyable. It felt good. And I liked it. And, you know, and that was pretty much it like for a really long time. And with my autoimmune stuff, I had a remission pretty much from the end of my first pregnancy until, which was at 24, until my late 30s. And I, in my late 30s, all of a sudden, it just came back. Like I got, I think I got about a food poisoning or something, and I just never quite got over it. Mm-hmm. So I ended up, um, after being kind of housebound for nine months with three little little kids at that time, um, I, my, my gastroenterologist said, you need to have your colon removed. And I was like, no, I'm like, no, I don't want to do that. So I decided to go get a second opinion because there was, a, mm. there was a number of things. Number one, you know, the treatments that had worked before were not working. Number mm. two, with, with um, inflammatory bowel disease for that long, you have a much higher risk of, of colon cancer, even at, mm. even at that age. Mm-hmm. So I went to Mayo Clinic um, in Minnesota. So for people, you know, Australians, if you haven't heard of it, it's, you know, one of the premier medical places in the, uh, world. In the world, probably. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, as soon as I, when you go to Mayo, they put you through this whole thing. Like you don't just go and they look at your colon, like you go through a whole battery, they test your whole body basically. So the first thing was, uh, I can't remember what test it was, but I, I went in to have it and they said, your fever is 102, which is like, what is that you think in Celsius? like close to 40, probably yeah, 39, maybe. Um, And your heart rate is 150. And we need to find out why. (laughs) So and I have been so sick at that point, you know, you learn, I think when you're when you're really, really unwell, you forget what it feels like to be well. Yeah, I think I think that had definitely happened to me. So I they said, we need to figure out why this what first, this is the first thing we're going to do is find out why these two things are happening. So what they did find, um, they put me in the infectious disease unit, you know, and they did all these tests, including a lumbar puncture, a spinal tap that a resident did that she did wrong. And I ended up having, I know, (laughs) I ended up having a little hole in the dura 
down in my spine. So anytime I sat up for more than like a minute and a half, the fluid would drain out of my head Uh, and my, you just, this headache that you would get was unbelievable. But anyway, um, so they found that I had a problem with my heart that probably was, was part of the inflammatory process and that pericardium, which is the sac around the heart had calcified and my heart wasn't beating properly. And that's why it was beating so fast. So in the, and there was some infection involved. And so they just said, you're having heart surgery tomorrow. (laughs) So, yeah. So what was supposed to be like, you know, three or four days up there ended up being almost a month. So I had the heart surgery and the colon thing still hadn't been resolved. So I went home and then that it just continued to get worse and worse and worse. So five weeks later, I was back up at Mayo having the colon removed. And I literally like I couldn't even take a shower without resting in the middle of it. Like, I, you know, I couldn't wow. stand up for one thing because of the, the spinal headache. But um, yeah, so that was pretty much the bottom of my, <laughs> my rope. I don't. Well, actually, no, it wasn't. So. Wow. It was. Yeah. <laughs> so this was in. This is in the late 90s and. um there were two procedures that you had to have for the colon. So I went back um, right after the heart surgery for the first one. And that left me with an ostomy for a little while, which, you know, I knew was part of the deal and that was fine. My brother also has this or had this disease and he had an ostomy and he was so supportive and so wonderful during, I mean, he was amazing. Um, But in the time between when I had the first surgery and then the reversal of the ostomy, which was six months later, my mom passed away at 59. So it was like, I just was like, I felt like one of those, remember the rock'em sock'em robots? This is an American Mm -hmm. thing, but it was just like, boom, 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 boom. Like I just kept getting punched. But there was another friend who by that time had also discovered yoga and it was kind of starting to come out of the, out of the closet by then. Mm -hmm. Um, and she wanted to come and do yoga with me um, after my surgeries. And I was like, I can't do yoga, you know? And she said, no, no, you can do that. You can do this. Can I, can I just come? And I'm, I said, sure. So she came and she had me lay on the floor in my room and just breathe. Like it was just pranayama. So she, she showed me how to breathe. And, you know, I had incisions basically from my clavicle down to below, to my pubic bone, pretty much. There was about a maybe five centimeter gap in the middle and it hurt just to lie flat like that was pretty uncomfortable and to breathe into it and expand through all that was was uncomfortable but also you know how it can be uncomfortable but you know it's right like it's Mm -hmm. you know kind of therapeutically uncomfortable so um we did that you know for quite a while and when she left after those sessions I felt so shifted like I felt so different that I knew when I finished, when I was, you know, well enough to go back to work that I needed to discuss, I needed to understand what happened, you know, like something, something really profound was happening and I did, had no idea what it was. And so that kind of set me on my path of, of yoga, really. Yeah. And so (laughs) did you decide at that point you wanted to practice it more? You wanted to teach it? You wanted to understand more about it? So you wanted to learn about it? All of the above? like All of the above. Wow. All of the above. So I never used to admit this, but now that I've been teaching for so long, I I don't mind. So, you know, I was already in front of people and I was used to teaching, you know, in gym settings. And so I went and did a yoga fit weekend yoga teacher training. (laughs) 
As so you do. <laughs> in one weekend, I got yeah. a certificate. I'm using air quotes. Yeah. And um, we went to, I went next Monday, I got a class and I started teaching. Wow. So, but I knew, you know, like at the end of that weekend, I'm like, okay, well, this isn't, this isn't, you know, I know how to do a teach triangle pose, but this is not what, this is not what we did. So I started on a quest to kind of find a teacher. And the first, my first stop was Baron Baptiste. So Mm -hmm. power, power vinyasa, Mm -hmm. which was interesting because it really um, kind of went along with my paradigm of beating my body into submission, Mm -hmm. (laughs) that style. It was fun and I learned a lot. Yeah. But it was really demanding and it was quite, um, what's the word? I, it, it was physically demanding and it was a little yeah. bit punitive. It felt punitive yeah. to me, yeah. which I kind of liked at the time. Um, actually, one time I was at a yoga journal conference where that Baron was teaching at. And along the way, I had a um, some scar tissue issues and I had a... a a bit of scar tissue cut off part of what was left of my small intestine and, and one of my ovaries. And I would got septic, like it was leaking. And it oh. was, so they had to, when they did that, they had to um, fix it all up and then it healed open. So rather they just stitched the very innermost layer and then the rest of it had to heal open because of the sepsis. Yeah. So we had to stuff it. Lane had to stuff it with gauze, like, you know, while it was healing. And I remember being at that yoga journal conference with gauze hanging out of the top of my, yoga pants oh. I mean that's what it was so like, what was I thinking oh. but that was how I was dealing that was how I dealt with my body I th- yeah. think I was mad at it I was angry mm. with it and I um yeah so that went on for a little while and then um I told this story on Jay Brown's podcast too and then actually this guy's sister contacted me after that because because it, yeah it's it's a funny story but we went um you know, there was a, a, a student of Barron's who I liked, who taught at a studio that was in my neighborhood, really close mm-hmm. by. But the owner of that studio was an Ashtanga teacher. And the way he taught Ashtanga was just, it was just mean. Like I felt, mm-hmm. you know, I was still pretty new to, to formalize yoga. And I was, it was still very dogmatic at that stage. And I really felt very small and defeated at the end of his classes. And so I didn't ever go to them. So I went to go to one of her classes and he walked out because he was filling in <laughs> and there just was no graceful way for me to leave. Like I had all my stuff and, you know, all the props and you know, my mat was rolled out. So I stayed and he had, he was completely different. Like he, he was fun and he was light and he showed me how to fix the niggle and my hamstring attachments in, in one class. I was, you know, I had had a lot of pain in that area and um, it was gone. So I stayed after class and I'm, he's a young, was a young guy. And I said, what, I wanted to just say, what happened to you? (laughs) You seem different. Your teaching is different, you know? And he said, uh, honestly, dude, you will not believe this. I found the best teacher. (laughs) His name is John Friend. It's Anasara Yoga. And we're all going to a workshop in Boston. You have to go. And I thought to myself, I don't even really like you very much, but I was so intrigued that I decided that I went and I only know, I only knew him and his sister who is lovely. And that was it. I kind of stayed in the back by myself. And the first theme of that weekend or the theme of that weekend was the first themed event I had ever been to yoga wise. Mm -hmm. And it was, the whole thing was unity and diversity. Mm -hmm. So 
it was all about how, you know, this tantric philosophy that we are all um, full expressions of spirit and the differences between us are on purpose and they're to be celebrated. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, that made so much sense to me. Um, it just felt so right. And it was at a time when, you know, I had walked away from a very conservative evangelical family. I mean, didn't walk away from my family, but walked away from the, that um, kind of school of thought and really was trying to find my fit with mm -hmm. spirituality because I knew I tried to be an atheist for a little while and I, that didn't feel right. <laughs> so I was looking, you know, I was, I was a seeker. And when I heard this, I thought, yes. Of course, you know, life is good. And, you know, babies aren't born with a sin. They're, you know, like, anyway. So I, I just, that whole weekend, like, I think I did Lotus for the first time. And I, you know, like this theme was amazing and it was so uplifting. And these group of people, there had to be at least a hundred people there. They thought they seemed like a family. I was just kind of watching from the outside and I thought, okay, this is, this is, this is it. This is my teacher. And I switched like that. And I went through their whole certification process, with, which at that time was, I mean, it was really before or just at the very beginning of Yoga Alliance. So it was really basically, we just did our, you know, hundreds and hundreds of hours with John. And then at the end, mm -hmm. it was a 30 hour, John Friend, by the way, um, mm -hmm. 30 hour written exam and three videos and, you know, all the stuff. And I almost quit a couple of times because it was really hard, <laughs> but yeah. I'm so glad I stuck it out. Yeah. yeah. It, I would say it's probably one of the most intensive yoga trainings that there is outside of, you know, some of the Iyengar trainings and things mm. like that. I know, you know, there's a certain cachet maybe, or there's some, um, when you talk about Anasara, that people have a sense of the teachers who were trained in that lineage, especially early on. Mm -hmm. um, there's a certain things that they know and there's certain ways that they are. I think it's, it was, a lot. yeah, it was amazing. And I think part of the, part of that, especially with the early on people, is that we would just rock up at these weekends, you know, and John would just travel around the country and teach and we'd just, you know, go when we could. But we go like turn up and then Krishna Das would be there one weekend, not unannounced, like we wouldn't yeah. know. Or Sally Kempton or, you know, Carlos Pameda or these amazing philosophy thinkers. And, you know, we just were like, oh, cool. Had no idea, you know, the value of the education we were getting at that time. Um, yeah, so now like, you know, some of those friends of mine from that era looking back we just kind of were like wow you know I, I don't I don't see how that could ever be repeated in that way it's amazing definitely not and so where did that take you where did you know where, I mean <laughs> Anasar obviously has its own little journey yeah um, but well, where, did, where did you go in all of that and and how did you were you in Australia at that time you within you the being... in the fall when it all fell apart um yeah I was here so when I, um, I was still in, in the States when I got certified and then I moved over here in 2009 and yeah, my intention when I came was because it really wasn't, it wasn't here. There was a handful of certified teachers, maybe three or maybe even just two at the time. And, um, so yeah, my intention was to come over here and to kind of help get it going. And so I did that. Like I traveled around and taught for a little while, um, taught workshops in different cities and stuff like that. But it was really hard because, you know, I still had kids at home mm. and just the travel was not working out. And I wasn't actually, 
I wasn't making enough money. Like we were, you know, we were in our mid forties by then and we had used pretty much everything we had to move over here. So we knew when we got here, we we're going to have to hit the ground running and, you know, kind of start to make some money. So it was really interesting because it wasn't really working out for me financially. So I started to interview for some jobs. This is, the, I'm taking a bypass, but I'll get back to the yoga. Um, it's all, good. <laughs> it's all yoga. <laughs> it, yeah, it's, yeah, it's all yoga. So I got um, to the third interview with Virgin Airlines. And I was really excited because I thought, oh, travel benefits and all this is going to be so great. And I went to the third interview and I had before I left Chicago, I had scheduled two back to back retreats in Hawaii. Um, There were a couple of people from Australia coming, but mostly it was my students from the States. And, you know, it was booked and paid for. I paid for the venue like the money was gone. So there was no turning back from that. I got to this interview at Virgin and they and the um, training was the retreat day. (laughs) And it was a deal breaker. Like I couldn't, I couldn't go. And so I lost that opportunity. And I was just, there was so much despair. Like I just, I went on the retreat and I'm like, I don't even know what's going to happen when I come home. Mm. So we went and the retreat was on Maui and it was this, uh, at this beautiful little kind of, I don't even know how to describe it. It was owned by a young couple. She was a native Hawaiian and he was from the mainland and um, they were like Barbie and Ken. They were just, they're so beautiful, like inside and out, just the most amazing people. And they had these gorgeous little boys and they had, uh, she taught Lomi Lomi massage and she was really into the indigenous Hawaiian practices and knew a lot, you know, just very knowledgeable So she took us on a sacred sites tour of Maui, which she, she said that these are not the sacred sites you'll find on TripAdvisor. Like these are the ones nobody knows about. And so we went to this one place in the Iao Valley where four rivers converge Hmm. and it was meant to be a very like sacred place. And so she kind of did her spiel and the group went off to explore and she and I were sitting there And I just started to pour out my story to her, you know, like, I don't know what I'm going to do. And she goes, oh, my gosh, you're in the perfect place. Go to the river. And she told me what part of the river to go to. And she said, sit on the banks for a minute and meditate and bring, you know, bring this to the river. And so and she said, and then after you do that, get in with your head facing upstream and get as much of yourself wet as you can and stay in the river as long as you can. And so I did. You know, I went, well, first of all, I went up and I found the place. And then there was this place where um, this big old tree was kind of overhanging the river and the roots were sticking out like a chair almost. Mm -hmm. So I sat in that kind of over the river and um, I just started to, you know, I sat, I was kind of like, I'm going to meditate. And then all of a sudden it was like, I just started crying. And so I let that kind of pass. And then I got into the river and it was shallow. Like it wasn't like a deep river. It was, you know, like a babbling brook at that place. And I got in and it was freezing cold. And I put my head upstream and I just lay there for as long as I could tolerate it. And then I got out and I went back to the tree and sat down again. And as soon as I closed my eyes, I heard not an audible voice, but just this voice saying, you are a yoga teacher, go back and teach yoga. And I, and it was like, I could, there was no arguing with that. I was like, okay, you know? And so I knew for the rest of that trip that that was what I was meant to do. And then when I got back to Australia, within six weeks, I had opened the studio. It was like, I wasn't going to open a studio. Like that was not part of my plan. 
And, you know, I was trying to build this community and it, or I wanted a community and I wasn't finding it. And finally, Lane just said, why don't you just build it? And so as soon as I said yes to that, it was like the money was there, the space was there and it just, we just did it. Wow. Yeah. And so, yeah, that's how I wound up, how I wound up teaching yoga here. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Wow. And so that's the story of how Shri came to be. Was it called Shri from yeah. the beginning? Yeah. 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 And I chose Shri because for a couple of reasons, um, partly because it, it really underpins the part of the, the Tantra that I really was drawn to is that there is a, a, a luminosity that underpins all of life. And it's in every being, it's in every person, it's, you know, it's in all of nature. And that that really resonated with me. And then the other part was because my brother that I told you about a little while ago, um, passed away, not long after we moved here. And it has his initials in it. It was he was Steve Rose. So his initials are in that word. And he was the embodiment of Sri. like he was just, you know, incredible. So yeah. Wow. And so it's, it's interesting, like there in that you sort of talked about a couple of times, you said things like that, something like this couldn't, you know, wouldn't happen today, um, necessarily. And when I think about, when I think about opening up a yoga studio, I think about, and I'd like to talk to you at some point, you know, in this conversation, just about yoga and how it's changed and everything and where we are yeah. and all the rest of it. But I'm really interested in hearing your experience as a, you know, as a, as a, especially as somebody who didn't necessarily want to open a yoga studio, <laughs> because these days it feels like, you know, or not these days, let's say five, 10 years ago, um, it felt like anybody who practiced yoga was all, all were, you know, was excited and wanted to open a yoga studio mm. next. Um, it, that's changed, I think, but I, I'd really love to hear like, what did that you, how, how long was Sri around? I think, I, I don't know when I discovered it, but how long ten was years. it around until 10 years? Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I wonder, you know, for you, what did you, what did you learn from that? I mean, I'm sure it's difficult just to encapsulate in a single thing, but I, Ugh. you know, just what did you learn from doing that from, and especially as somebody who maybe didn't necessarily think that that was one of the things that you were going to do um, from the beginning. You know, yeah. what, and what did you learn about yoga as well in that? <laughs> wow. I think the things I learned were less about yoga and more about myself mm. and business. And, yeah. you know, cause I'm a creative, like I don't, I'm not a business person. And I think most people who open yoga studios more and more now you see somebody who is, you know, like likes the business aspect mm -hmm. and isn't necessarily a yogi and you'll see them opening studios more now, but for a long time, it was people who just loved yoga and wanted to share it. And for me, the jumping off point was community. Like I wanted a spiritual community and I just wasn't finding one that I could slot into and yeah. 10, what would be 12 years ago now, um, there, there was maybe three studios in all of Brisbane. Like there was, there was nothing here. Yeah. So, you know, I, I complained about it to Lane quite a bit and he was really the You're one like, that's like, the hell? hello, you know, just, just make one. <laughs> and that was really always the driving force for me is that, is that, that feeling of a community, a spiritual community where we can celebrate things together and support each other through difficult times and, um, yeah, and just and just get to know each other through that mutual 
appreciation of the practice. Um, so that was really the driving force behind it. Um, what I didn't, what I learned about yoga is that it, yoga is a ter- it makes a terrible business. <laughs> it's just, <laughs> it's not a great business. I mean, well, the way I did it was not a great business model. Yep. Um, and to make it a good business model, I think you have to, I felt I had to sell out a little mm. bit in a way that I didn't want to. Mm. Um, but other people make a go of it. I think without selling out, I just never figured out that I just never figured out that combination for myself. Mm. Um, I learned (laughs) that there's a magic carpet that you can kind of step on, you know, like the way I describe it in, like when I'm talking about it in class is we've got this, this energy of spirit that's kind of in and all around us. And we're in, you know, it's, it's, we, if we, came up with it, you know, a magic, magic things happen, like my experience at the river. Mm. But also, if you lose contact with the source of that, then it all turns to shit, Mm. (laughs) which has also happened to me, you know, I opened a second space, and I was on the magic carpet thinking, this is great. But I was, you know, way more in my own power than I think I was collaborating. And it just it fell over. So, um, yeah, I learned that I have to be in a collaborative relationship with spirit in order for these these magical things to happen. And there's been so many of them in my life, but there has also been me steering too hard too. Um, what else did I learn? I learned that people are amazing. Like, you know, everybody has a story. Uh, you never know. You just never know. And as yoga teachers... I don't know if you do this, but I, you know, like a lot of times, not so much anymore, but for a long time, I just think I had someone figured out just by watching them in class, you know, and I'm almost always wrong. So, um, yeah, everybody's doing the best they can. I really believe that. Yeah. Yeah. I think those are the big, big lessons. I think, you know, just from my little experience of being at Sri, the times that I was there, I feel like you've really created something magical there. Mm, that feeling, you. just the way you described what you were looking to try to create. I was like, that's exactly how it felt. This feel like a family of mm. people. And even though, you know, I was living, you know, a couple of hours away, only ever gone, I had only ever gone there a few times. Every time I was there, I just felt like I was enveloped into this family, like just, oh. you know, just scooped up into this family of people. And I met people and... It was a brilliant, brilliant experience. It really, Aww. yeah. And so I'm really, I'm glad to hear that that was your intention because I think that that is, for me at least, that's exactly what, you know, that's how I felt being there. Yeah. I wanted to recreate to a little bit of what I had, you know, in yeah. my training with all these amazing teachers coming in, which is why I started to bring people over to do yeah. workshops and stuff. Yeah. Um, plus I got to study with them too. So it was kind of a bonus <laughs> for me yeah. and I got to hang out with my friends from America. So that was fun. Um, but yeah, I'm really glad that you had that experience. That was Mm. definitely the intention. Yeah, it was brilliant because, you know, for me, and this is something I'd be interested to hear more your thoughts about, you know, coming from one of the things for me that has always set Anasara apart. Um, and I wasn't, I didn't study Anasara, but I did, I found that I was always, um, gravitating towards the Anasara teachers. Yeah. And I think a lot of that was just this, this way in which that, that kind of tradition lineage, whatever you want to call it, really, um, 
embraced or embraced the philosophy of yoga and really mm. um, had that as a really a central aspect of it. I mean, there was a, there was a, you know, obviously there was heaps around anatomy yeah. and all the other various things, but it felt as holistic an experience of yoga as I, as I'd ever felt. Yeah. Um, and that all came from the teachers as well. I felt that from every single teacher. Like I think about all the teachers that I um, have, have, you know, have studied with and have practiced with from that tradition. And there's still that something there that there's still that connection. And I wonder about that, um, you know, because when I think about yoga, when I think about the way the yoga is practiced now, and I even think about the way that yoga was practiced, you know, you know, modern, whatever, Western postural yoga here, there was still so much that kind of aerobic underpinning of it. There was still so much <laughs> yeah. that, you know, people were or here in, in Australia, it was always like a yoga and Pilates were always together or it was always. Yeah. So there was. And so I wonder for you, like, you know, I get when you talk about wanting a spiritual community mm-hmm. and I wonder, you know, what was your experience of trying to build that? And then what also was, um, you know, within within a, a city or a larger community like Brisbane, how did you, how were you, how were you received when, you know, the <laughs> folks across the, well, you said there weren't that many studios, but when all around you, there's people just talking about, you know, how to get a yoga butt and, you know, how to build <laughs> stronger abs or whatever. <laughs> it was really interesting that, that part of it, because those were not the people that I attracted, I think, mm-hmm. or that the studio attracted. Sorry. Right, so a couple different, you asked, you asked me a couple different questions here. Yeah. Sorry. Um, I to do that. Okay. <laughs> Five part questions. Just go dive That's into right. whatever, whatever speaks to you. <laughs> all right. So first of all, the, the, the teaching um, and what draws you to. So what I, what I think the magic is with that is that have you ever heard the the thing that in this is kind of from sort of loosely from the Bhagavad Gita? So there are three um, kinds of people that come to yoga. There is the mystic, there's the engineer, and there's the athlete. So the mystic wants the spirituality, the engineer wants technique, and the athlete wants to move. And Anasara really does and did tap into all three of those things in every single class. Definitely. So it had something for everybody. And, you know, I love that it was just on a, you know, we were, we were taught that you do not dumb down the spirituality, just find a way to make it applicable, mm-hmm. you know, and that's always been my, as a teacher, you know, studio aside as, as a personal teacher, that has always been my thing. And it was really interesting. Cause I just heard Dr. Lisa Miller, who was on my podcast a while ago, you should grab her. Mm-hmm. Um, she's awesome. amazing. Yeah. But she was talking about um, yoga and I think it was anxiety. And there was a well-documented double-blind study done on yoga's impact um, on anxiety. Mm. And they they tested it with the spirituality and without the spirituality. And it only impacted in a positive way anxiety when the spirituality was included. Yeah. Yeah. So that just kind of helped me and it didn't help me because I never really had a problem with it but you know it just gives it a little street cred you know yeah (laughs) for sure yeah for sure um so I think that's that's the thing and and we were the other thing that we were really instructed to do and I do this in my teacher trainings too and it's I find it that it's hard for Australians you know as Americans and and I've had a couple in 2019 I had I think we had 
oh God, I'm not going to get it wrong, but we had like eight different countries represented in that teacher training. Wow. And I remember there was this, there was this couple from Portugal there and we were talking about using direct language. So mm-hmm. instead of um, individual um, invitations for every movement, you're just saying, you know, not just step, step the leg forward, but step your leg forward, you know? So it feels like you're having a conversation one-to-one mm-hmm. and, you know, a lot of times these Australians will find that really confronting because they're, you know, they're much more genteel than we are <laughs> and they're, you know, and they're, they're softer in their speech. Yeah. And so I remember the port, the Portuguese couple, they're saying, this is no problem for us. Like, this is how we talk all the time. So it's very, I've had to really kind of, um, find a way to offer that in a way that's, that doesn't feel so weird to them. Um, you know, and when you're, when you have an experience of it, like, uh, you know, I'll ask them when, when you're in my class, does it feel like I'm bossing you around? And they'll mm-hmm. say, no, it doesn't feel like that. It just feels like you're talking to me. And, you know, so that, that idea that the student is feeling spoken to directly, because you're mm-hmm. saying your hand instead of the hand and you're, mm-hmm. you know, you're saying, do this not you might want to do this you know mm-hmm. just just step mm-hmm. your foot forward you know mm-hmm. and I mean and you might you might want to do this is appropriate sometimes but it's not appropriate for every cue so in my opinion anyway yeah. <laughs> so that's that's I think one of the things that makes that or a couple of the things that makes that so appealing mm-hmm. um what was the other question <laughs> I think you answered it. I was sort of talking a little bit about how you would have been received in, you know, in Brisbane in, in within a, a yoga culture, for lack of a better oh, term, yeah. that was so so kind of focused on athleticism, perhaps, or so focused on, you know, kind of this workout. But you were sort of saying that those weren't the folks that you were that were coming and, to you. And to be honest, that wasn't really happening here at that point. I always yeah. feel like the the way yoga developed or grew here was about five years behind how it was in the states right so i felt feel like i rode the wave in the states and Mm -hmm. kind of left at the peak and then i got here and there were these three studios one of them was a power studio and it was very new yeah and the other two were very traditional and there was an ashtanga studio too an ashtanga shala that i think is still here um but so it was very very traditional so really what i was doing other than the power studio um was modern so yeah so it was not kind of like everything everybody was having a workout and I was something different I was the one that was actually doing something a little bit more vigorous and also you know tying it all in the spirituality all in so yeah and then the people would come like we were in the middle of the city so people would come from work and they would come they were so faithful it was just Mm -hmm. part of their day so they'd come before Mm -hmm. or they'd come after or they come at lunchtime and, you know, it just, yeah, it's, there was just a rhythm to it that was really beautiful. Mm. Wow. And so you talk, you talk sometimes about, you know, in your newsletters and, and you know, when I, whenever I catch you online here and there, you talk a bit about um, how your yoga has evolved. And I <laughs> wonder, you know, I just in hearing this, just in hearing, you know, the part that yoga has played in your life, you know, so far that you've described, I, I, I have the question for me, the question that's there for me is what is yoga, what is yoga for you now? Like what role is it playing in your life oh, right oh, now? Gosh. And what would you, what role might you see it playing in your future if you have any sense of that or if you've even thought about <laughs> it? Yeah. And I think a lot about it. Um, 
in the last, well, I turned 60 last year. So I really, it's, it's been a year of embracing the fact that I am an elder, mm. you know, and really stepping mm-hmm. into that. And I think it's been very emotional for me, not because I'm afraid of aging, but because my mom died at 59. So mm. in this year I outlived her, which is really weird. And so there was all that. And then I had an injury too, right around the time of my 60th birthday, a really bad um, medial glute tear. Mm-hmm. And it was, was really incapacitating. And it went on for a long time before I found, I went back, finally went back to Jackson Lennon and he's like, you got to move. So mm-hmm. that it just was weird. It just was a really strange few months. And when I came out, when I came out the other side and the injury was healing and I was kind of having confidence in my body again, um, I was like, okay, here I am. <laughs> I'm, I'm an elder now. Like, what does that look like? I actually just wrote about this last week. I haven't published it yet, but um, part of it is just embracing the age, you know, like I'm not 30 anymore. I don't do the kind of physical practice that I did even 10 years ago, really. Mm-hmm. Um, and so part of it is because I don't, well, part of it is because I haven't kept it up. But part of it is also because I've got some arthritis in my hands, so I can't really do handstands anymore, or or I can do them, but not comfortably. Um, And my hip, and then just different things. And so my practice is much more about down regulation now. Mm. So much more, it's much, it's much gentler, much less, you know, acrobatic. And it's, it's so interesting that you bring this up, because I have been looking for a teacher, and I Actually, I found somebody that I'm doing some one-on-one mentoring with, and his name is James Brown. Have you seen him? No, not James, not James Brown, but (laughs) James Brown, the yoga teacher. Um, And he is a little bit further down the path than I am. And he was a a devoted student of Mati Azrati Mm -hmm. um, for years. And so I did a one-on-one session with him online and, you know, he was, he said, tell me about your practice. And I said, well, these days you know, my practice is I'll go for a walk and that's often my meditation. It's the time when I get, feel like I get downloads and when I get inspired or I get ideas, things like that. Mm. And then I'll come home and I'll have maybe 15, 20 minutes of a little stretch. And he goes, okay. And I said, is that enough? <laughs> Cause I was really feeling like, I mean, I've, I, you know, I went from these crazy, like, I don't know if you ever went to one of my practice labs you know, two hours of, you know, self-practice. Like, so I went from that and it wasn't, you know, like all kinds of stuff. And I just filled those practices with stuff I couldn't do, you know, so that, Mm. that we could all work on it together. But, um, I had been feeling so much like I wasn't doing enough or something anymore. And he goes, of course it's enough. He said, you know, he said, it's not like you're going to forget the stuff you've known for 30 years, you know, you could still teach it. And, and I was like, okay, <laughs> I, I just felt so relieved. And he said, and this is something I've been saying to my students since this has only been the last month. Um, he said, just when you, you know, when you, when you set out on your walk and you come back and you get on your mat, just ask yourself, what do I want to get from this today? Mm-hmm. And I was like, so simple was so profound, you know, and here I, I was so hung up on, I have to be doing the, th- the exact things I'm teaching, you know, and, and it, it actually felt really freeing. Hmm. So now for me, yoga, I mean, it's always a reset for me. And it's a, you know, it's a daily reset, whether it's, 
you know, just my walk or my walk and a little practice or just a practice, you know, I, I feel like anything you do that's moving prana around your body in the truest sense of what it is, is, is a form of yoga. If it connects you to yourself, if you feel more alive, you feel more present, that's yoga. So, Mm. yeah. So for me now, that's, that's what my daily practice looks like in the future. I'm not sure, you know, I'm not, I'm not really sure right now is it's, as painful as it was, and it was heartbreaking for me to close that studio because it was COVID that closed it, you Mm -hmm. know, in the city. It's still, I think people are working from home as much as they're they're at the office. And so we went from, you know, having full classes to having like five people. So there was no way I could keep it open like that. Um, But as hard as that was, what I'm doing now is only the things I want to do, which Mm -hmm. is really it's really wonderful. You know, like I've got my classes back to back on Wednesday night. That's the only public teaching I do. And then and I love those classes and I can feel a little kind of spiritual community growing there, you know, and, and it's, it's great. And then I've got my teacher training, which is the other thing that I've always really loved doing. And, you know, for the foreseeable future, I plan on doing, I plan on keeping that going. And then I, I jump on other people's trainings every now and then and do a module of different things. I'm doing one for Elements Yoga Academy in May on assisting, you know, so little things like that. Um, and I'm ready to go back to study again. I'm, I've got two different little avenues I'm thinking about. Yeah. And yeah. yoga, do you want to talk about it or no? You're still trying to... Well, one of them I think I've already talked to you about. Um and that is the end of life doula. Um, so yeah, that's an it, it's an area I'm really interested in. I feel like the veil between worlds is very thin at mm. that point. And I've been privileged to you know be with both of Elaine's parents during that time and um, missed it with my own mom. She died she died on her own by herself, um, very unexpectedly. So that and then also. Um, Lisa Miller, who I talked about a few minutes ago, she has a, a kind of sub college at Columbia that's a master's program for um, spirituality, basically spirituality and yoga and different things. So, yeah, those are I, I can only I can only do one at a time. So I've got to I've got to choose. So I'm kind of looking into both of those things right now. Mm, oh wow, those sound so juicy. And you know, like both of those things really. Um, they speak to something like, and and this is something I'd love to kind of hear whatever thoughts you have on about this, because it feels like yoga, for me, at least yoga has created some understanding about the world, about kind of like who we are and, and not even not how not necessarily how, you know, yes, how your body works and all the rest of it, but also just sort of it's, it's been for me responsible for, for bringing up really bigger questions about life and how we work and how we're connected to each other and what I'm starting to see. And maybe it's just because I view the world through a kind of a yogic lens anyway, but Mm -hmm. I'm starting to see a lots and lots of other aspects of um, life in the world, like things like psychology and this trauma work and all these things. I'm starting understandings of somatics and, and, you know, and emotional regulation and self-regulation and the, that, you know, all of these things, I'm, I'm starting to see 
the yogic underpinnings of all of these things in the questions that many people are asking about everything. And yeah. you talk about death, you've just, you've just touched on it. Like just death is a huge thing. I mean, I remember one, um, one person that Maria and I interviewed talked about how this, this idea that yoga is a preparation for death. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm just wondering, like, <laughs> what is it? You've talked about these two really incredibly juicy things, this sort of spiritual aspects of life. And that's something that really interests me in the whole transpersonal study. Um, yep. And, you know, this death thing, like, what is it? What Tell us, tell me anything you, have, you want to say about that and how your yoga has like, has brought oh. you to that or what you're really curious about. Just talk about whatever, like there's no real question. I just love to okay. hear your thoughts. I think that all the major philosophical systems are trying to answer the same questions. Mm-hmm. You know, like this is another thing I would love to study is comparative religion. Um, you know, like there's um, what is the meaning of life? You know, how mm-hmm. do we get here? What's, what are we supposed to be doing? You know, mm-hmm. How are we all connected? That all of those questions, and mm. you know, when you think about Judaism and Christianity and Islam, you know, and Buddhism, even they're all trying to answer those questions. They just come at it from different different ways. And with my limited knowledge of some of those, though, you know, there are more, there are also similarities, and they just you know, especially with Christianity and Heaps. and Hinduism, you yeah. know, I've you know, so I won't go into what they are but there there are quite a few so for me yoga having grown up in a very you know in a very christian home first catholic and then very much evangelical um spirituality was always a part of my life so you know we were we were always going to church um there was this uh, this notion of god which ironically was a word that I was really hesitant to use after I left that the Christian faith. Like it felt mm-hmm. very much like my avatar for God was like the white bearded guy in the sky, you know, holding the marionette strings and making things happen. And it was not a, I'll tell you, actually, I'll tell you when that really changed for me or one of the things that really drove that home was when I was recovering from the heart surgery, mm-hmm. my mom was staying with me. And this was just um, a few months before she passed and she had Parkinson's and she was, you know, not, she was not super, I mean, she was, she was pretty good, but she wasn't super mobile. So we just, and I couldn't sit up straight because of the spinal headache. So we just spent a lot of time talking and laying around. And at one day she had a friend come over and I was laying on the couch and my mom left the room to go get some tea or something. And this woman who was a church friend came over and she just stood over me, like, you know, lying on the couch. And she said, what sin in your life has brought this on you? And I was like, what? (laughs) (laughs) And it was at that moment that I was like, okay, I for sure. I like, but it just kind of sealed the deal for me. Yeah. Um, That, you know, because I remember thinking, even if, you know, I had three kids that I loved and, you know, you hear about God loves you in the, in, in the faith that I was in, God loves you Mm -hmm. and blah, blah, blah no matter how much I wanted to teach my children something, I would never put them through what I had been through, mm. you know, and was a, you know, and, and I hadn't even been through all of it yet. You know, mm. I just thought that is not, that just does not resonate with me. So anyway, that was kind of a, a side thing. Mm. So when I, you know, again, when I first heard this branch of Tantra called Kashmir Shaivism and Tantra, you know, like, 
you know, I always tell my students in the beginning, don't Google it. (laughs) (laughs) Don't Google it. Not like you've got kids in the room. (laughs) That's right. Um, Because it's gotten, you know, it's it's become known for this tiny little portion of it that has some Mm -hmm. sexual practices in it. And it's just not what it's about. Um, But when I heard that, you know, when I heard the philosophy in that first workshop and then continued to delve deeper and deeper into it, it just answered all the questions I had and all the things I, I knew intuitively. Like I knew that babies were not born with sin that, that needed somebody else to, to help them with. Mm. Babies are born beautiful and pure. Mm. And, you know, and yes, bad guys grow, people grow into bad guys because, mm. you know, hurt people hurt people. And, mm. you know, there's that cycle that we, you know, that's out of our hands to a certain extent. But at the base ground of life, it's good you know, is good. So that really, really resonated with me. And even, you know, when things are hard, and Lisa Miller, again, talks about this, how suffering is not an indication that there is no higher power present. Suffering is a portal, Mm -hmm. you know, to connect with that. Mm -hmm. And she said it differently and much more eloquently than that. But you know, and I, and that has been my experience hands down, you know, that when we go through difficulty, whether it's illness or financial problems or, you know, divorce or death or whatever, you know, that these are opportunities, these are portals for us to connect with the organizing force of the universe, you know, whatever you want to call it. So I was, I wasn't calling that God, for a long time because I kept thinking about the sky God and kind of early in my exploration of Tantra, when I first moved over here and I was having these amazing people come over, I would say, what is your, you know, what's your avatar for God? Like, what, what do you think of when you think of God? And I got some of the most amazing answers um, that really kind of helped me just kind of figure out what, you know, where I was with all of it. I had a friend, who was a brilliant writer in the States. And she said, I think of God, like, like Ganesh, you know, like with a big belly and some sweets in his hand and just, you know, loving and that kind of thing. And then I had another guy um, who is a brilliant um, musician and also um, scholar said, I think of, I think of, how do you say it? (laughs) It's like, I think of her like Saraswati. So she's, really smart and you know she's got the music and but she's not accessible and that's really hot (laughs) (laughs) you know and then other people would say I think of it as a force you know like Mm -hmm. a guiding force that's with us you know like the moving walkway and you can get Mm -hmm. on and walk with it and collaborate or you can walk against it or you can ignore it you know Mm. so that really helped and I'm I'm a lot more um, willing to use the word God now than I used to be Um, because it's just helped me define what I think of as God, I guess. Mm. Wow. I wonder, like, whenever I think about you, (laughs) and I do because I get your Monday morsel, like, every Monday, (laughs) um, I always have this this sense, there's this sort of sense of grace about you. There's a sense of, um, like, a a sense of... um, Ease is not the word I'm looking for, although there are elements of that in there. But there's this sort of receptivity to life and this, you know, this curiosity. There's all these different things that are kind of 
kind of, you know, all combined into the only word I can really, that really feels like it grabs me, grabs me on around it is the grace. And I wonder for you, um, are you aware of it? Is it something that you, and are you, are you aware of, of how, you know, life and yoga and your experience has, um, has created that? Were you always that way? You know, what can you say about that? Do you feel that, that, you know, living has, are you aware of how living has impacted who you are? Yeah. Um, well, first of all, thank you. That's a very kind thing to say. Mm, thank you. Um, Yes, I think I'm I'm optimistic by nature. I think mm. that I've always had that. Um, and I've always been independent by nature, mm. like not afraid to go out and try things. Mm. Um, but I've also had some really hard knocks. I mean, not not just the stuff I was talking about, but, you know, divorce and financial problems and, you know, other things. Um, but the the thing that underpins all of it is, is grace. So mm. not my grace, but you know, the flow of grace that I feel is supporting my efforts in good times and in hard times. Desiree Rumbaugh says it that way. Like that's what mm. she feels the grace is. She's also had some pretty hard knocks in her life. And, um, and so I think too, as you get older and you go through more times like that, you have more confidence that the sun comes up again, you know, like we don't stay in the downtimes and we don't stay in the peaks, you know, that even when you're at your lowest point, yeah. it's, it's going to pass. Like it's going to, it's going to be over at some stage. Mm. So that, yeah, that is huge, you know, and I, and I do, I, I believe that there is an intelligence behind the way life unfolds. And even when things are difficult or when they suck, you know, or, or painful things happen, I do, I really do believe that. And so I think that that helps, you know, and it helps me mm. to, it keeps me looking for that, I think, mm. that thread. Hmm. Yeah. Do you have a sense, this is just something that's come up for me, like in d discussing this. Do you have a sense for what you would want your yoga legacy to be? Like, I, I consider oh, you to be God. a really wise teacher. Sorry to ask wow. put you on the spot with all these Whoa. things. But I just, I consider you to be a really wise teacher who, who really does live what they teach. You really live what you teach. And so I wonder, like, in all of the ways that there are to share yoga and all the different ways that there are, you know, that people are sharing yoga around the world, um, I wonder, have you had, have you done any thinking about, you know, if you could, if you could have people understand one thing about yoga or two things about yoga or whatever it is, or have yoga change people's lives as a result of something you've done, have you, have, do you have a sense of what that would look like or how that could be? Tell you what, makes me cry just thinking about it. Hmm. Um, I've never thought about that directly. Like what, what do I want my legacy to be? I've never asked myself that question. It's a really good question to be asking at this hmm. stage of my life. Um, but I think the one thing that in my teaching, just in general, is that yoga is so much more than the poses. I mean, that's the thing. And that anybody can do it with any kind of body. Like you don't have to be fit. You don't have to be thin. You don't even have to have legs that work, honestly. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, the story, a story I tell a lot in my trainings is about my mother-in-law before she passed away. She was in a nursing home and just 
she had kind of given up on life and we just kind of watched her body curl in on itself. Mm. And so sometimes we would go and we would just put a um, pillow behind her back, you know, just to kind of lift her chest a little bit and she'd be sitting more upright and open. And on those days we, we would have better conversations with her. And that in my mind is yoga. Mm. You know, we just changed her body position. We opened her up a little bit and she was all of a sudden she was there, Mm. you know? And so you know, she couldn't get out of bed. She couldn't even really set up very well, but, you know, we could impact her that way because, you know, well, long, long, long way around, you know, getting there, but um, that's yoga. Do you know, have you read Matthew Stanford's book, Waking? No. Oh, so it's really easy read and it's, it's really good, but he's a pair, he's a paraplegic yoga teacher. So yeah. So he talks about, you know, his, what happened. He was in an accident and lost, you know, half of his family in a car accident and lost the use of his legs. And, you know, he talks about at one point in that book where he couldn't move his legs, but he could feel energy in them. Mm -hmm. And so he's gone on to be a really well-known teacher in the States. Um, That book is, I read that book really early on and it really impacted me. You know, it's so much more than just being able to do a backbend. Wow. Well, I've written it down, so I'm definitely going to check it out. I wonder, um, just in speaking a little bit about now about, about, you know, this, the way that yoga has kind of evolved over time, it we've definitely seen, you know, we've seen a lot in a short, in a, in a somewhat relatively, and by relatively, I mean, like a few decades, um, a relatively short period of time. And I wonder for you, what are you, so many things. Let me just get my, <laughs> just get us all together. Like figure out exactly what I'm saying here. I think the other day someone said to me, you know, every second person's a yoga teacher these days. And 100%. I wonder, this is going to be another multi-parter. Okay. So I wonder like <laughs> when you hear something like that, what is it, what does it say to you about people? What does it say to you about yoga? And then also I wonder, you know, where do you see yoga going and do you see it? Do you see it? Yeah. I won't put any words into your mouth. Like where do you see it all going and how do you feel about that? Uh, okay. <laughs> You're writing it down. This is a, I am. So I, so I don't miss it. So this is something I have thought about. Okay. Um, and honestly, like there it's, it's, there came a point because of this, every other person is a yoga teacher and it's so easy to become one now after, you know, the grueling process I went through that, I sometimes am embarrassed to say I'm a yoga teacher because it's not, it's not unique or special Mm. anymore. That sounds awful, but it's the truth. Yeah. And it's, it is because of, because of that, you know, because it is not everybody goes through now what I went through. It was, it it Mm. meant something, you know, at the, at that time. And it's not that it doesn't mean something now. I mean, it it still does. Um, So I don't know, you know, I think a lot of people will say that the advent of Yoga Alliance is the reason. And basically, you know, there's such a misunderstanding about what the yoga organizations do. They're not um, certifying bodies or they're not even licensing bodies. They're registries, Mm -hmm. you know, and they're optional. So the truth is that, you know, Lane or Matt, our husbands, they could get together and make a yoga school and, you know, put out a thing and make a fancy certificate and quote unquote certify people like they don't 
anybody could do it. Mm -hmm. So, and the thing that, that I found frustrating when I had the studio was that people don't know the difference between, you know, a teacher that's been trained in the fullness of the practice Mm -hmm. and a teacher who's only been trained in the poses or how to demonstrate, you know, how to do a, do a flow in front of a class and have them follow. Mm-hmm. And they don't know the difference until they experience it. And it's getting less and less accessible. You know, the, 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 the kind that we're talking about is not as accessible as the other is. Mm-hmm. So that as a studio owner, really, it was hard for me to kind of hang on to just deal with that or not deal with it, but it was, it just frustrated me. Mm. But now that I'm a, I'm a, I'm an indie teacher again, <laughs> free agent, I'm a free agent. <laughs> um, I'm just kind of doing what I love, you know, yeah. and I don't, I don't feel like financially, cause I've got, you know, staff to pay and things like that, that I've got to meet the market. So the money's coming in. Mm. I'm just teaching my yoga mm. and I love that. Yeah. And I love it too. Like it's, it's, it's awesome. Um, so that's where I see it going, actually. Yeah. I mean, I think if more people like you and me, you know, and teachers of some, you know, of some experience and some training mm-hmm. can kind of step out and, you know, it was hard. Like, it was hard to just say, okay, I'm going to hire space and I'm going to put it out there and hope people come. And they didn't come at first. Like, it took mm-hmm. a while to build it up and it's built up really well now, but um, it was scary, you know? Yeah. But man, as it got rolling, you know, and like I said, I feel like a little kind of community forming there. It's the same people pretty much every week and we've got new people coming in and um, it it feels really good. And I can really see, and it might just be my personal bias too, but if, you know, I can see yoga going in that direction because of the pandemic, you know, more people are wanting to practice at home. A surprising amount of people want to practice on Zoom. It just blows my mind. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll see. I don't, I don't know in this, it's very different here because the pandemic didn't affect the studios here, you know, other than mine, because it was in the city, the way it did in the States. So Mm. it's so it's the landscape is completely different over there now. Very. So, you know, here the suburban studios, because everyone was at home, they, they did okay. You know, they stayed and most of them were were able to open again. Whereas in, in the States, my understanding, and I haven't been back since just before the pandemic, but, um, you know, it's still very political over there in, you know, people are still talking about vaccines and, mm. you know, mask wearing is a political statement and that kind of thing. So it's really, really different kind of feeling over there in general. Mm. Yeah. yeah. It's one of the beauties of being here in, in some yes. ways, you know, you kind of have that space to. Yeah think you know to have that space to kind of process some of all of this stuff really yeah yeah and just the lack of you know I mean obviously we had our you know we had our issues here too I mean there's no denying that but you know the fact that from my perspective anyways we we seem to have moved on like you know people want to wear masks that's fine no big deal if they don't fine no big deal you know we just we're just going on with life now whereas I don't get the feeling that it's like that over there yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, just getting kind of getting back to yoga a little bit, like I yeah. think that the pandemic definitely shifted 
like, as you were saying, kind of definitely shifted the way that people practice yoga, maybe even the way that people think about yoga. Yeah. And, you know, prior to the pandemic, I had been engaging with Jay Brown's, you know, yoga teacher um, group. Oh, right. And we had been asking lots of questions about yoga, you know, about um, looking at, you know, the way it's practiced, the way it's taught, you know, how, how does it feel to be a yoga teacher? And I remember one of the things that I really started thinking about, which became even more pronounced with the pandemic, is this question about whether yoga should even be a career mm. and whether or not we should, um, whether or not our thinking about the way that we share yoga um, could use some um, shifting or whatever. And I never really came to anything about it myself, mm. but I wonder, you know, as somebody who's practiced for so long, who's also been in, you know, very, very steeped in the business of yoga, um, and then who also maybe, you know, sees yourself as, you know, a person who will always be sharing yoga. Um, what do you think about that? What do you think about the way that we, th mm. we think about yoga and, the, you know, the idea that everybody's now trying to build it into this, you know, business? Do you, I mean, yeah. anything? What, have you, what are your thoughts around it? I always tell my teacher trainees, don't quit your day job. <laughs> Because I think it's almost impossible to, you know, do a 200-hour training or even a 500-hour training and then drop everything else and then make a living teaching yoga. I just, yeah. I was really lucky because I always had support, you know, so I was, I was married and I had another income. And so I wasn't relying on my income wholly and solely to live yeah. until we moved over here. And then I, and then I was more, um, and that's shifted back the other way again now. But um, yeah, so I think, you know, as a new teacher out of teacher training, you have to, first of all, you have to be able to fund your continued study because you have to continue studying. And, yeah. you know, if you're teaching, you're going to have to teach 15 to 25 classes a week in or, and you're not going to have time for anything else. Mm. And even that's probably just going to, just going to cover your, your basic needs. So I always say, don't, don't quit your day job. I do think that we need teachers you know, like people of my generation and your generation, we're not going to be here forever, you know, so we mm. do need people to kind of come up through that path. But I think that path is part of it is the moving walkway, you know, it's, yeah. it's not going to be everybody's path. Yeah, it, you know, but that doesn't mean that you can't do some wonderful work you know, teaching part-time. Do you, no, you wouldn't probably know Karen Cooksey. Karen Cooksey, shout out to you if you listen to this. She was a, a woman here in Brisbane, English, she's English. And uh -huh. she had a full-time job and had a studio. Wow. <laughs> and, you know, did charity work. And she was, she was amazing. And then she moved back to um, the UK where she's from and basically did the same thing there. And I think yeah. she, she may be closing the studio now too. Hmm. But she impacted so many people with her teaching and, yeah. you know, never left her job. And not that she, you have to open a studio to do that. You can have yeah. a job and you can be a teacher. You know, you can start at, in your office, you know, get a conference room at lunchtime and, and get a group going there. Yeah. And then, you know, and then build it from there. But to, to I feel, you know, mm. to come out of training and then just try to make a career out of it straight away is the hardest thing you can do. Mm. I love that you've shared that because I feel like we don't hear that enough. Yeah. I feel that there's a lot and I, and I 100% agree with you. Um, it is amazing how rare we, how rarely we hear people talking about, you know, these realities. Like it's, it, you know, you, 
you hear them in like the you know if you're in if you're in the right rooms in the right little quiet spaces you might hear about it but yeah. it feels like we don't hear about it so much and I feel like if we were talking about it a little bit more um, kind of out loud it might invite a shift in thinking about how yoga is you know how how yoga shared how yoga yeah. teachers are supported how because we all I feel like we all recognize the value and the importance of having yoga of practicing yeah. yoga in yeah. all the various ways that we do. And to have this one very kind of narrow look at how we can do that, you know, this, you know, I'll make my career yoga. Um, it, it makes me wonder about the future of yoga because it changes it. It changes yoga when people feel like, well, I've got to make a living doing this. Right, right. And so, you know, it, it, it asks all sorts of questions about how you do that, how you market it, what you, all of these things. Yeah, yeah. It was interesting because when I first started, like I, when I first started teaching, you know, it was just in, in gyms and actually I chose a gym really far away from where I live. So nobody would be there that I knew, <laughs> but that was after my weekend training, but, um, there came a point where I got tired of the studio politics and I, mm. I left all the studios that I was at and hired a, I had a, had a friend that had a local dance studio and I just yeah. taught classes in there for a while. And there's something about building and now with Google it's so easy you know mm. you if you get your settings right you 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 know so I'm in you know whatever town you know in whatever country and I'm teaching yeah. a yoga class and you, you have a little website and you get your Google settings right people will Google yoga near me and they'll find mm. you mm. you know and they're they're going to come in with no expectations generally you know if that's yeah. the way they're finding yoga um and that happens in my class now that I'm teaching here. You know, a lot of people find me that way. So in terms of marketing, and I don't even know how much of that you have to do. You know, mm. you just find a little space, put your pair out and, you know, and, and, and give it a shot. Yeah. If you're working a corporate job, you know, that's a great way to cut your teeth. Like I, I did that too. I had a, one of my students from one of the studios I was at worked at United Airlines and she invited me to come to a lunch and learn thing to talk about yoga. And I was a pretty new teacher at this point. Mm -hmm. So I did a thing and, you know, it was a little, little talk at lunch and had them get up and move and touch each other a little bit, you know, and it was great, really good vibe. And then that was kind of the precursor for a class that I would offer twice a week in their conference room at United. And I had mm -hmm. 50 people coming to those classes. Wow. You know, I, and this was actually around 9-11 as well. And so mm -hmm. that conference room was like command central for all that stuff that was happening. And wow. people were wrecked. They were so traumatized. Right. And we just all kind of healed together. Like I was in way over my head with that, but it was really pure and really raw. And it was a corporate class. It was a bunch of people who sat at desks all day and they loved it. And I loved it. Mm. And, you know, those are the kind of, you don't need to teach in a studio. You know, you, there's so many other ways you can share the practice. This is incredibly important too, because I, as you're saying this, as you're talking, you know, touching here and there on trauma and on, um, you know, what it means to kind of work in the corporate world at a time when we're starting to really feel it, I feel like, you know, we're, we're starting to really, especially after COVID and all the different things that are going on in the world, we are really starting to get very present to, you know, this idea of trauma and how it lives in all of us in one mm. form or another. To me, all of this is really, um, it's really shining a light on the importance of practicing yoga or of, yeah. of, of learning a little bit even about yoga. And so I find it really, um, it's a really 
it's an important time for us all to be thinking about this. And yeah. so this, any ideas or thoughts that you have, which you, you know, you've been offering here about how people can begin to share it outside of sort of some of the boxes or the more traditional boxes that we think about like studios. Yeah. Super important. Well, I think too, you know, and I share this with my teacher trainees too, like yeah. gyms are a great place. The problem with mm -hmm. studios is that there's an expectation then as soon as you walk to the front of that class and you've got yeah. people who've done a bit of yoga, you know, yeah. there's an expectation. It's really hard for a new teacher to, to kind of cut their teeth in a situation like that. Whereas a gym, yeah. they're just happy to have you there, yeah. you know, or, or in a corporate setting or whatever. Yeah. So those are great places for a new teacher, I think, you know, to get going. And there's this perception, I think sometimes that gym yoga is less than or whatever. No yoga is less than it's all, you know, it's all yoga. So, you know, just find a place that works for you. Yeah, that's so important. So as we kind of start to wrap up, I, you know, the, the, for me, the, the whole, the, the larger inquiry, sorry about that, the larger inquiry with this podcast is this idea about how, you know, yoga, the philosophy of yoga, our thoughts mm -hmm. about it, our practice of it, impacts our ability to live a life that is um, nourishing and that is in alignment with who we are. And so my question for you is, you know, for you, what does it mean to live like you love yourself? Uh, oh, this is such a good question, Shara. <laughs> <laughs> um, live like I love myself. Well, I think part of it is, you know, kind of the stuff that you talk about all the time is, is taking care of your body in all the different ways that you can do that, like nourishing it properly with food and movement and things like that. But I think on a deeper level, giving yourself the permission to look at yourself with love, you know? Mm -hmm. So for example, yesterday on my walk, I was so grumpy, <laughs> you know, like I really, I was just feeling cranky with Lane and I was like, just not, not feeling like myself. And I was walking along and I thought, okay, you know, you, this is how you're feeling without judging myself and saying, I shouldn't mm -hmm. feel like this or whatever. Like, okay, this is how you're feeling. Why do you think you're feeling like this? You know, mm -hmm. like looking at all of all my, my emotions, and this is a beautiful thing about Tantra, you know, my emotions and my thoughts and my hormones and my, you know, my body as it changes and gets older, all of it is perfect. Like it's mm -hmm. all divine. It's all spirit. And so, you know, when I have a bad day or I feel grumpy, like I did yesterday, I can look at it without condemning myself and saying, you know, you, you shouldn't be feeling this way or, you know, what a jerk you are. You've got everything, you know, you've got all this going on and, you know, why can't you just be happy? Mm. Do you know what I mean? Yes, absolutely. Do. <laughs> I mean, and I think that's one of the beauties of yoga and it comes more from the philosophy. I think yep. that the philosophy that I've studied than, than anything else. And one of the beautiful things about the way that the scholarly aspects of yoga have developed over the last 10 to 15 years is that, you know, through the work of guys like Daniel Simpson, you know, we're finding mm. that the philosophy that's been married to Hatha yoga, the practice, the physical practice for so long actually has nothing to do with it, you know, and that the practice that we're doing now comes from much more from a tantric lineage. Mm -hmm. And so we don't have to still our mind. We don't have to, you know, subjugate our desires for connection and things like that, because mm. those things were great if you were a monk, but 
you know, for for people who are engaging in life, that does it actually doesn't work. Mm-hmm. So that's an exciting thing about you know some of the new directions that yoga is moving in, and also I think that frees us from. I'm getting into a holder. Is it okay if I? No, just... no, go, go, okay. go, 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 go. Do not stop. <laughs> um, that you know that because of that, and because we've discovered that it's not five thousand years old what we're doing today. It's more like a hundred years old or one hundred fifty. Um, that it gives us freedom. It's given me freedom to throw out some poses I don't think are good for bodies. Mm. You know, like there's certain things I don't, I just poses I don't teach anymore because I just don't think that for the majority of people in my classes anyway, that they're healthy and movement science is allowed in a little bit more now. And so we can be smarter, you know, in the way we're getting people to move. So beautiful, beautiful. And yeah, I mean, it feels like, you know, one thing that it feels very much like because yoga is so old, I mean, I'm just going to kind of keep riffing on this thing. We can keep going. Um, because yoga is so ancient, there's a, sometimes there's a sense that it doesn't evolve, like it can't evolve. And yet it has to evolve, like we're, we're evolving. And so in some ways, you know, just it sounds to me like, you know, some of what you've touched on is this idea that um, we we need to be open to that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think life evolves. And I think, all right, I'm just going to get a little political here, but, you know, this is some of the problem that's happening in the States now is that, you know, we've got progressives mean progress, progressing and conservatism means don't change, you know, Mm -hmm. and life, like you said, it evolves and changes and we have to be, we have to be able to move with that. Yeah. So, yeah. Awesome. So if, if isn't the word I meant to start with, <laughs> I wanted to say, is there something else? Are there any other thoughts? Like when, you know, when I first asked you to, to, um, to speak with me on this podcast and share your thoughts, was there anything, any ideas or thoughts or that you wanted to share with people? Like, is there any final thing that you want to sort of say to people or piece of wisdom? Not that this is the last time that you will speak, <laughs> that you'll be on this <laughs> podcast, because I do hope that this is only just the first, but no. is there, you know, just based on kind of what we've been talking about, or even just what's in your heart, is there anything else that you would want to leave us with? I think that, you know, if you have something in your life that gives you permission to be kind to yourself first, mm-hmm. that the overflow of that or the outcropping of that then is um, more love in your life. So, you know, for me, it was yoga and, you know, helping yoga helped me to accept a body that I was really battling with, you know, and to, and to let go of all that and just, you know, be proud of what it's taken me through. Even if Mm -hmm. I can't, you know, even if it can't do the things I want it to do anymore. Um, you know, but, but if you can, if you, you know, they say you can, if you got to love yourself first, you know, and I, I think it's not cut and dried, but I think there's a lot, a lot behind that. And it's so much easier to offer that compassion and understanding, you know, to other people in your life, if you've got it, if you've got a practice that keeps you connected, you know, to the best, best parts of yourself. I guess, I think. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. I'm, yeah, I don't even want to say anything else after that, except for okay. just thank you. This has been brilliant. Oh, thank you. 
Yeah, really enjoyed it. Thank you. Okay, I am back. And I hope that you found some nuggets of wisdom in that conversation, because I certainly did. And I'm excited to say that I've got some more conversations coming together to share with you in the months ahead. I've been toiling away on my master's degree in research uh, over the last number of months, actually years, which has kind of kept me away from the microphone somewhat. But I love these conversations so much that I'm keeping things going at a pace that feels sustainable for now. And so as always, I just want to thank you so much for for listening. You know, I appreciate it and I'd love to hear from you. If you've got any feedback or recommendations for folks that you think would make great podcast guests, it's always good to get recommendations from the folks who listen. And so I do hope that all is well in your world and that these conversations are inspiring you to live like you love yourself. Until next time.